morning, Family Church. Heard from so many of you how you're enjoying this series of taking big pieces of the Bible and fitting in and that, seeing that framework of how God has given us His Word. I, I want to come as we approach God's Word that we understand what we're approaching, that we are to hear from God Himself this morning through His Word. And so I just want to remind us of that. So many times we can just grab our Bible, open it, and read it, or, or hear something from the Bible or we come to church just ready to get something from this. And I just want to remind us that we are here as believers. And we are going to hear what God has for us this morning from his word. We're in week three of our five-week series of walking through the Bible. The first week we looked at the Old Testament. And we covered the Old Testament in one week. Just looking at some of the main themes in the Old Testament. We called that the mystery the mystery, because it was mysterious what was going on at the time. We saw some promises and some things given, but we really didn't understand what those things were, those mysteries, until we come to the New Testament. Last week, we looked at the Gospels, and we gave that the name, the man, the man, because the Gospels are all about the man, God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so we're taking these large portions of Scripture and these are almost hinges in the Bible. You have the Old Testament, you have the Gospels, and then this morning we're looking at the book of Acts, which is a very transitional book, the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 1. Acts takes about two and a half hours to read, and I encourage you, if you haven't done that this week, getting ready for the sermon, I encourage you this week, after you hear this sermon, to go and sit down, if you can, in a single reading a single sitting to read through the entire book of Acts. A lot of times we read little bits and pieces, but to get a full perspective, if you read an entire book of the Bible, you get beginning to end what, was, what the meaning was, what the context was. And so it takes about two and a half hours to read. Rather than plugging in a movie, I encourage you to sit down with your spouse and maybe you read a chapter and they read a chapter until you get to the end. You will be blessed by what you find in the book of Acts. Will you pray with me as we get started this morning? God, we thank you for your word. God, we approach it this morning and we give you praise for your goodness. God, we thank you for loving us, for giving us your son. God, we thank you for acts and what we're going to see. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit just to come and reveal things to us about the church what we need to hear this morning to bring you more praise and glory in our lives. God, we thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts, we're going to give the name, the movement. The movement. So, Old Testament was the mystery. The Gospels was the man. And Acts, we're calling the movement. All of these are going to begin with M to help us remember. So, the movement. The book of Acts is all about movement. This morning we're going to look at three key areas of movement that we find in the book of Acts. So if you're in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. It says this, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is where we find our first movement theme in the book of Acts. Verse 8 is a key verse in the book of Acts. And so if you're going to underline a verse, that would be a great verse to underline because that actually gives us a roadmap for the entire book of Acts. The whole book follows what we find in verses or in verse 8 of chapter 1. And that is our first point this morning, the movement from Jerusalem to Rome, from Jerusalem to Rome. We have a map that we can show this a little bit better with and that we see Jerusalem was actually located in Judea. And then Judea was neighbor to Samaria. And then you have all the way up where Rome, so we have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then the roadmap we're given right here in the beginning of Acts chapter 1. And then it says the next place is Rome. Rome would have been the, the capital of the world at that time. And so this would be like Marco Island and then South Florida, the United States and the world. That's the commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see this roadmap followed out. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. We see in Acts chapter 2 the promise of the Holy Spirit from God given to the disciples and given probably to the 120 others who were there, close followers of Jesus. And then we're actually told what happens next. In chapters 1 through 7, the gospel is spread to Jerusalem. It's spread in Jerusalem. A key verse, which I believe is in your notes this morning, this kind of outlined. By the way, you have a lot of notes this morning. That's everything I wanted to be able to put in my sermon, but I couldn't. So I hope you read through some of those notes this morning. Acts 6, 7. Here's a summary of chapters 1 through 7 in this one verse. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And then we come to Acts chapters 8 through 12. 8 through 12 tell us exactly what we were told about the beginning of the book, that they're all about the gospel spreading in Judea and Samaria. Acts 9.31 gives us a summary of Acts chapters 8 through 12. Acts 9.31 says this, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the gospel's first given to Jerusalem, and then following that same thing we find in chapter 1, verse 8, that roadmap, now it goes to Judea and Samaria. And then Acts chapter 13 through 28, the end of the book, do exactly what we're told the beginning of the book was going to happen. It's the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth, Rome itself. The book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. Rome was considered the center of the Gentile world at that time. And the book of Acts ends with Paul there proclaiming the gospel. Let's turn to Acts chapter 28, the very end of the book. And we'll see Paul speaking to the people there in Rome. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 21. We're going to go to verse 24. 
And they said to Paul, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the other brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So he's saying, listen, we haven't heard anything bad about you, but we want to hear what you have to say because this whole Christianity thing, everybody's talking about it everywhere, and a lot of people are against it. A lot of the Jewish people, the Roman people were against it, but it was spreading everywhere. People were coming to Christ. Verse 23, they arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning until evening explaining to them the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. So if we can see that map again, this is actually what happened in the book of Acts. It started in Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7, and then chapters 8 through 13, Judea and Samaria, and then the end of the book, talks about the gospel spreading this way and this way and this way and down to Egypt and all the way to Rome, the center of the world at that time. If it got to those places, the gospel was going to spread because those were trade capitals. People from all over the world came there. They would hear the gospel and they would go back to their nations. So that's the first movement we see in the book of Acts. A second movement we see is from Peter to Paul. We see the transition from Peter to Paul. We have a visual here for this. Beginning in the book of Acts, the very first and second chapter, we see Peter is the main character here. In Acts chapter 2, Peter boldly preaches and 2,000 people accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So the church is literally born in the book of Acts. This is where the church starts. We see the church come in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 are saved. The next chapter, Peter is preaching boldly again, and we see 5,000 people here saved in Acts chapter 3. But then a new character comes on scene, and that's Saul, who we know as Paul, and that's in Acts chapter 9. And then we see the rest of Peter's ministry go all the way to chapter 12. So chapters 3 through chapters 12 are all about Peter and what he's doing with the church, how God is using him. The rest of the book, though, transitions from Peter to Paul. And so as you're reading, you'll notice that about chapter 13 onward to chapter 28 is all about Paul, his ministry, his travels, how God uses Paul, and it ends with Paul in Rome. So it's all about the church being born. Throughout the book of Acts, one thing that we see very clearly is God used individuals for specific purposes. He uses their preaching. He uses their evangelism. He uses their missions. He uses their giftings and their background. But one thing we need to see is the sovereignty of God in the midst of all these things. You can't read the book of Acts without actually seeing the sovereignty of God throughout these things. I want to give a couple examples here. We see how God used Peter in specific ways to build up the church. He, he spoke to massive amounts of people. Thousands came to Christ. But he uses Paul very differently. I want us to look at Paul and the sovereignty of God. It was not by chance that Paul went to the perfect type of schooling for him to do the job God had him do. I mean, he understood the Old Testaments and had a a great knowledge of the Old Testaments. And so he could talk with people and he could debate and he could 
talked to priests who studied the Old Testament, and many of them came to know the Lord. That was not by chance that from a young age, Paul had studied the Scriptures. It was not by chance that Paul was a Pharisee. He had the most well-respected teachers. So, naturally, other well-respected teachers, because he had good teachers, would listen to him. He had the pedigree. So people would listen to him because of his background. We see how Paul once persecuted and killed Christians. But we see how God used that later to actually bring more people into the church. Because of his horrible past and background of killing Christians, God actually used that. That wasn't by chance. It was not a coincidence that Paul was also a Roman citizen. Paul could only do some of the things he did. He could only get to Rome by being a Roman citizen and appealing to Caesar. That wasn't by chance that God was going to use him to get the gospel to go where he wanted it to go. God even had prepared Paul's profession. I mean, there's only so many professions where you can actually work on the move. But Paul's profession allowed him to work wherever he was. He could build tents on the move. And so all of these things are just little glimpses of the sovereignty of God. The book of Acts is riddled with examples of this, how he works in the church, how he grows his church, how he brings people to himself. One example of this, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 18. And this was one where I read, and I've read it before, read it multiple times, but you come to it, and I was studying it, and I, and I want us to think, I, I want to give us something to think about here. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 5, I'll give you a moment to turn there. I hope you love seeing this, and it encourages you like it encouraged me. This is actually Paul being encouraged by the sovereignty of God in salvation. Verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrived in Macedonia. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Listen in verse 9. So the Jewish people were rejecting the gospel in this town. Verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now, we just read that that wasn't the case, right? There weren't many people in that city. They were attacking him. They were persecuting him. And he was ready to leave because they rejected the gospel. But then God shows up and he, he gives a vision. He speaks to Paul and he encourages him. And he wasn't saying, listen, I have a lot of Christians in this town who are going to protect you. They're going to come alongside of you with weapons and protect you so nobody can hurt you physically. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I am setting aside people who are my people in this town. That's what God says. There are many people who are my people in this city, but they've not yet heard the gospel. And so Paul went from ready to throw in the towel, ready to give up, but then he understood the sovereignty of God in salvation and how God was going to do a work with those people through Paul's, Paul's preaching, Paul's evangelism. And Paul went from ready to throw in the towel to understanding God's sovereignty and in verse 11, it says, And Paul stayed another year and six months teaching the word of God amongst them. Now, that's not, if you've ever looked into this whole debate, 
of the sovereignty of God, a lot of times people say, if you really believe in that, if you really believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, it's going to destroy your evangelism efforts. Because if God's in control, then, then you're not going to have any zeal to go after people. But that's not what we see in the book of Acts. We see Paul ready to give up in evangelism. And God say, I have more people in this city I want to save who are my people, and I want to use you. And Paul went from despair to having hope because God gave him a glimpse of what was going to happen, and he stayed a year and a half. Incredible, incredible. It, when you begin to see some of these things and think through, it really can change how you view sharing the gospel, how you view things. Now, God could have revealed himself to these people in other ways. God can reveal himself in other ways where he doesn't need us. He could do a better job, right? I mean, he could do a better job than us doing it. But God, for some reason, has allowed us, made us to be a part of this process. And I don't understand how that all works, but I get, I get to be a part of it, and I get blessed to be a part of it in helping people come to know the Lord, and he wants to use us. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He used Peter. He used Paul. I'm up here preaching now. You're going to leave from this place today, and you're going to have conversations, and you have neighbors, and you have coworkers, and you have family. God has always used people to spread his word. He could do it himself, but he uses us, and that's an incredible, mind-blowing thought when you begin to think, why? I don't understand why. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why, but he receives glory in that process, and so that's what we see from the book of Acts. So I want to encourage you, don't despair, church. I mean, when you read the news, when you, when you see things happening in other countries and horrible things happening in this country, I just want to encourage you, God will grow his church, and he wants to use you in the process. What an incredible privilege it is that God does that. So we've seen the movement from Jerusalem to Rome. We've also seen the movement from Peter to Paul, and this brings us to our last theme that we see in the book of Acts, and that is the movement from the nation, the Jewish people, the nation, to the nations, the Gentiles. And this is huge in the book of Acts. So the gospel came in the first seven chapters in Jerusalem, right? To the Jewish people. That's where it came. And the Jewish people should have been the ones most excited about the Messiah. They should have been the ones most excited about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shows up because they were reading about him in the Old Testament. Remember those promises? They should have been excited about the promises that were coming fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Yet when the message came and Jesus Christ arrived the good news was preached to the Jewish people. What did they do? They rejected it. And the more we read in the book of Acts, the more we see them reject it more and more. So we're going to go back to the beginning of Acts and work through it again. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you can turn with me there. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll see this next movement. So we're going to make it through Acts three times this morning for three different movements, beginning to end, beginning to end. Now Acts 4, beginning in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, the Jewish leaders, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening 
So here the Jewish people are throwing people in prison and persecuting Christians. But verse 4, listen what happens. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So Jewish people were hearing the word coming to salvation, and Gentiles were listening as well. So throughout chapters 4 through 7, the early church is being persecuted by Jewish people. We see Peter thrown in jail. And then we see God send an angel to rescue Peter from jail. And I want to give us something else to chew on. Maybe some of you are still thinking through the sovereignty of God and how that works. We know God is all-powerful, right, church? We know he knows the future, right? He's sovereign over these things. We see here Peter thrown in jail, and then we see God send an angel to rescue Peter from jail. Now, I want to ask us, because it should get our brain thinking, and we need to have a right perspective of God. If God can send an angel to rescue Peter from jail to continue proclaiming the gospel, why didn't God just not have Peter go to jail in the first place? I mean, if he knew all of that, and he could, he could send an angel to walk through the midst of the guards in jail, to wake up Peter where nobody sees it happening and says, hey, Peter, come on with me. And then they have a, a prison break, right? Why did God do it that way rather than just sending an angel to stand alongside Peter the whole time to where he was never arrested, to where he could just continue sharing the gospel? Why did God do it that way rather than the other way? That's a question for you to think about and discuss in your connect group because that will take you lots of places where I hope you have lots of questions. And I just want to tell you, all the answers are right in here, and it's life-changing. I hope that really encourages you. In chapter 7, we see Stephen preaching to the Jewish people. He's again preaching, and he talks about their hardness of heart. Acts chapter 7, listen to what he says. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law and delivered by angels and did not keep it. And then we see the stoning of Stephen next. So Stephen is proclaiming the gospel, and he's telling the Jewish people about their hard hearts to the Lord. And they get upset, and they go, and they stone Peter. And this just shows us what this movement is from the nation, the Jewish nation, to the nations. The Jews rejected the gospel over and over. And the rejection of the gospel, as you read through Acts, became stronger and stronger. And the Gentiles were the ones on the sidelines that when the Jews rejected it, the next audience in line is the Gentiles. So all the time, we see them preach the gospel first to the Jewish people. They turn, and then they said, fine, if you don't want to listen, then I'll go to the Gentile people. I'm going to go to whoever will accept the gospel. And then we see the final straw in Acts 28. Acts 28. Let's turn back over to Acts chapter 28. This is Paul in Rome preaching, Acts chapter 28, speaking again to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. We'll be in verse 23. And we'll read all the way to verse 31. 
And this will give us a clear perspective of this movement from the nation of Israel to the nations. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, Paul, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded the scriptures to them, as we read earlier. It said, some believed, but many didn't. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And he said this, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, verse 26, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but you will never understand. You will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For the people's heart had grown dull, and with their ears they barely heard. With their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And so the whole book builds up of the gospel being preached to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people, some of them believed, most of them didn't, and the gospel was turned to the Gentiles. And it's almost like the door of the gospel is being slammed shut to the Jewish people here in Acts 28, where it says, fine, if you don't want the gospel, then it's going to be sent to the Gentiles because they will listen. Acts shows us a very transitional point in the Bible. All the way up to this point, it had seemed like it was all about the Jewish people, all about the nation of Israel. But when we get to Acts, by the time we get to the end of it, we see that what we thought was in the Old Testament all about Israel was actually not about Israel at all. It wasn't about the Jewish people. It was actually about the church. And here, this statement of, fine, we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, affirms that in many other verses. We see in verse 30, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So we've seen the spread of the gospel move from the nation of the Jews to the nation, the Gentiles. This fulfilled what Jesus spoke of. John 12, verse 24. It'll be on the screen here. Listen, listen to what Jesus says and think of it in this context. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, what was Jesus talking about? Well, the gospel was compared to the seed. The gospel was given to the Jewish people. What did they do, church? Rejected it, right? So they rejected the seed. It was given to them. They rejected it. And where did the gospel go? It fell to the ground. It fell to the ground. And then it gave birth. And now we read, actually, the scriptures fulfilled. It has bared much fruit. And that's the Gentile church. Today, when you look at the church throughout the world, it's largely people who are not Jewish. There's some who have came to faith in Jesus Christ. But that fruit or that seed that was given that was rejected, that fell to the ground, that's what Jesus is talking about, the seed of the gospel. Israel continued to reject it, and it went to somebody else. So I want to end this morning with a story of Peter and Cornelius that we find in Acts chapter 10. There's no need to turn there, but Acts chapter 10, we see Peter given a vision. And he's in the city of Joppa, and Peter's given a vision. And this vision was symbolic 
of the gospel spreading to those who were once considered unclean. Most of us, the Gentiles, right? And in the same time, a different place, another vision was given to a centurion guard named Cornelius. And he was given the vision to go find this man named Peter. So they both had a vision. Peter had a vision to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And Cornelius had a vision to go find Peter so that Peter could share with him good news, the gospel. They, Peter, or Cornelius calls Peter. Peter comes. Peter preaches the gospel to them. Him and his family are saved. So now this is another transition showing that the gospel is now give, being given to the Gentiles, not just the Jewish people. But I want us to go back and see something very important. We find Peter in the city of Joppa when he first received this vision. The city of Joppa is the same city where Jonah was given in the Old Testament a vision. And what was the vision? Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to the city of Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. So Jonah was given a vision to go and preach the gospel to the unclean people. He went to go preach. He went to go teach against their sins. The Old Testament. Here we're going to Gentiles. In the Old Testament, it was all about Israel, right? But Jonah is a foreshadowing of what was going to come in the New Testament. Where Peter, in the same city, receives the same type of vision to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. And so, this is why the Old Testament... We see so many things in the Old Testament, we don't understand them till we get to the New Testament. Remember that dark room we talked about two weeks ago? The New Testament sheds light on what Jonah was actually doing. The same thing Peter was. And it just affirms this whole thing that the church, the church, it was always about the church. Even in the Old Testament, God was preparing all of this about the church. It wasn't just the Jewish people, it was the church. Here's a few takeaways for us this morning. The church, and we need to see it this way, the church was always God's plan A. It wasn't like, I'm going to give the gospel to the Jewish people, and if they reject it, then my plan B is everybody else. Because we see all the way back in Genesis 12, we read God gave a promise to Abraham, and that promise was that through Abraham, who would be blessed? The nations, the nations, not just the nation, but the nations. And we see in the book of Acts that it is, in fact, the nations. Everybody, anyone who calls on Jesus Christ is blessed through the gospel. Exodus 19.6, this was spoken to Israel. Jewish people, Exodus 19.6, listen to it. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9, which is spoken about the church, us. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Old Testament, Exodus 19.6, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Speak this to the children of Israel. New Testament, applied to the church. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special people. You see how even in Exodus, it was saying 
about the church in the New Testament. Listen to Daniel chapter 7 and how this applies to the church today. Daniel 7 verse 14. And to him, Jesus Christ, was given all dominion, the church, and a glory and a kingdom. The church is a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. The church is comprised of all peoples, all nations, and all languages. And the church exists to serve him. It will never pass away. And his kingdom will never be destroyed. Just like the church, it will never pass away. The gospel of Jesus Christ, we read, had spread to all nations, all people, all tongues. Not just to the Jewish people. That's good news for us who are not Jewish. That we have been, even from the beginning of time, part of God's plan A. If you're in the church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all the way back in Genesis, you were part of this plan that God was building up. And it wasn't you were plan B or I was plan B. We were always plan A. That anyone, not just Jewish, not just Gentile, anyone who called upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, would be saved. It wasn't just about a people. It was about his people that called upon Jesus Christ. So God's plan A is the church. As that, I want to talk with us about this. As that, the church should be vital in our lives. Church, this is not just something we come to on a Sunday morning. This is what we should be about. That we've been grafted in to this thing called the church. It's, it's not just something that I put into my schedule at 10 a.m. I'm going to go on Sunday morning to go to church and then live the rest of my life. No, the church is actually what we are. It's not something we do or something we're a part of. It's who we are. And so the whole New Testament teaches us from, from Acts, the whole rest of the New Testament talks about what we do as a church, what you do, what I do as a church. A couple of things that should be implications for this. The church should be vital in our lives. This is why it's foundational that we're in a church that we're participating in a church. Listen, are you praying for others in the church? Are they praying for you? Because if they're not, that's something God has called us to do. Are you encouraging others in the church? Are they able to encourage you? Are you serving others? Are they able to serve you? It's a vital part. This whole thing in the book of Acts is about the movement of the church, what we do as a church. So I want us to really... Think about, and I want you to think about, are you involved in church the way you should be? If this is God's plan A, this is it, the church. It wasn't just about your salvation or your salvation or your salvation or my salvation. I was given salvation and you were given salvation so that we could be part of the church, part of his bride, not specifically for you or for me, but for us to be part of the church. And as part of the church, we are honoring and serving God because this is what his plan A is. And so all the things he's called for us to do are only accomplished in the church. This is why we try to do ministry in and from the church. We don't go start other ministries. We do it in and from the church. So I want to ask you, are you a member of a church? If you're a snowbird here, are you a member of a church somewhere back up north? Because you should be. Membership is just like a marriage covenant saying, I agree to this and the other party agrees to this. So now we're members and we agree. You may commit to a church, but if the church doesn't know you've committed to them, they can't really do anything. 
For instance, here at Family Church, we take membership very seriously. We have a membership book. And these are the people that we feel responsible for. The people we're praying for. The people we're calling. The people we're taking out to lunch. We're involved in their life. Because they're members. They're a brother of mine. They're a sister of mine. So we, we specifically pray through those people. And we're involved in their life. If you're not a member, we want you to be a member. But we don't know who is or isn't. Unless you are. You see here? I mean, we don't know who really wants to be. Who wants us in our life? I mean, do you want me to call you? Do you want me to do these things? If you do, that's what membership is for in a church. How do you identify yourself? There's things the Bible calls you to do. You can only do in the context of a church, in the context of membership. What talents do you have? Are you using those talents God has given you in the context of the church? Maybe you're an encourager. Are you encouraging those sitting beside you? Here's, a, here's another thing I've been praying about for weeks that I've wanted to say for weeks. I encourage all of us, all of us. And Luke and I were talking about this last night. I told him to say it. He didn't say it, so I'll say it. But he said it, okay? He said it last night. But I agree 100%. If we come to church, church starts at 10 a.m. If we come to church at 10 a.m., Or 10.05, who are we coming to church for? Us. And so, I mean, he said this, and I'm like, that's exactly right. Because at 10 a.m., if we get here, it's for us. I encourage you, get here 15 minutes early so you can be here for others. Listen, there are people here that need you in their life. They need you in their life. They need you to pray for them. They need you to encourage them. They need you to come alongside of them and teach them how to do something you know how to do. And there are other ones who can do that to you. Maybe you need encouragement somewhere. But if you're not here before church starts or hang around after church, nobody knows. And you're living life on your own. And that's not, that's not being the church. That's being someone who's submitted to God, but you're not actually doing the whole thing. The whole New Testament is about is Jesus Christ came And he said, go and spread the gospel, become a church, and do these things as the body of Christ. And in our culture, we've separated this whole thing into individualism, living Christian lives separately from everything else, and we've lost the whole context of church. So I just want to encourage us. You have a bulletin insert here that talks about some things we do as a church, but I encourage you, next week, I mean, I would love to see all of us here 15 minutes early and greeting one another, talking about, hey, what's going on in your life? How long have you been here? Having conversation, getting involved in people's lives. We have an upcoming membership class. If you're interested in membership here, there's people here who need you. And I also want to share, listen, if you're not here, that also means you could be robbing somebody else the opportunity to use their talents Because they can't use their talents unless there's somebody to actually use their talents on. And so if you're not here, you're not providing an opportunity to be used or for somebody else to help you or for you to help them. So this works both ways. There are children in our children's ministry who need men and women who love the Lord to teach them. One time a month. There's there's positions from one time a month to every other week. There's even positions to where you don't even miss what's happening here on a Sunday morning, providing snacks, 
I mean, that's one area of many. There's tech ministry. There's student ministry. The students need men and women who can teach them how to be godly men and women in this culture. And that only happens in the church. There are men who need to be encouraged to be godly husbands. There are wives who need encouragement to be godly wives. This happens only in the context of a church. So church, I just want to encourage us. Consider church and the blessing it is. It's God's plan A in your life. All the things we read about God wants to bless us in are blessings that only happen in the context of the church. They happen in relationship. You can't do them on your own. And so I just want to encourage us as a church that we begin to see church and value church and that we come to church earlier to partake of the blessings God has for us and to be used by God. There are people here every morning whose marriages need help. There are people here every morning who don't know the gospel. There is so much work to be done even here in the church. Church, I just, I just want, to, I want us to see the value and the blessing and the gift that God has given us in the church. That he was thinking of us, if you're a believer, he was thinking of us all the way, Genesis chapter 1. This is God's plan A, and we're a part of it. We are truly, truly blessed. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you, we thank you that you have even regarded us as something to be valued. God, you've given us the church. And I know for most of my life, I considered church something I did, something I went to, something I participated in. God, I didn't consider me as part of the church. I didn't consider it vital or essential in my life. But God, that's what you've taught it. You said the church is what it's about. You came and gave your life for the church. The church is the bride of Christ. God, we're your bride. God, I pray that you get a hold of our hearts, that we may show up early, that we may see the value in that. God, that we're not coming here just for us. We're coming here to be fueled and to learn more about you, but we're also coming to be used. We're coming to encourage We're coming to hear encouragement. We're coming to pray for others, but we're also coming to be prayed for. God, we're coming to encourage other people, but also be encouraged. God, we're also coming where we can see a sin in somebody else's life and help them through it, but we also need others to see things in our life we're struggling with and help us through it. That only happens in the context of relationships in the church. God, help us to understand you know best in this situation, and that's why you've given us the church. God, I pray that you ignite all of our hearts to begin to act and begin to do and begin to see as the church really should be vital to our lives. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for dying for us, that we can be part of this glorious thing called the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.